you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Do you think of yourself as someone who is easily confused? When our intellectual capacity is diminished in some way, it becomes more likely that we will become confused. We can mix up our words, confuse names and faces, and go in the wrong direction to places we used to know inside out. But there's a much worse form of confusion that strikes anyone and everyone at any age, even if there is no intellectual or cognitive issue involved. That confusion is the one only Satan can create. Satanic confusion diminishes our capacity to think biblically, to exercise godly logic in the face of our circumstances. The devil looks to cloud our judgment, tempt us to foolish behavior, and keep us from the knowledge of the truth. Even worse, when we're confused in this way, we can often believe that we are thinking just fine, that we have solid knowledge and wisdom on our side. That's one major reason why we need the Holy Spirit. The Spirit clears up confusion, reminds us of God's Word, and gives us true wisdom from heaven. As has been the theme of this podcast season, we must recognize that we are in a spiritual battle in the middle of the war between God and Satan. We cannot win this battle without God, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, or without God's Word. It is only by the power of God that Satan is defeated. It is so important that we be regularly reminded how powerful Satan is, as well as how powerful our God is. When we have God on our side, we have no reason to fear what the devil may do. So it's all pretty straightforward, right? To avoid the powerful confusion Satan can bring in our life, we need to rely on the power of God at our disposal. The Spirit alone can give us clarity of thought and the wisdom we need to act rightly. Well, if it's this simple, why does it present such difficulty to us? Well, it's the nasty problem of indwelling sin. As sinners, we sort of like being confused. Now, who in their right mind likes being confused? Exactly. We are often not in our right minds. Our minds are set on things they shouldn't be, on things below rather than things above. So sin is the wild card. Our flesh wants to be confused. It wants things that are foolish and don't make sense. That's why mere logic doesn't change things in the end. We need logic that is infused with the power of God to change hearts. This means we need to not only resist Satan, we need to actively mortify our flesh and die to our sin. As long as we desire to be confused, Satan has a foothold in our life. So today we need to talk about power, power versus weakness, the power of our sin and Satan versus the power of God. Let's dig down deep and ask God to give us clarity when our sinful hearts seek to be confused. When we talk about the comparison between power and weakness, 
What images come into your mind? Maybe it's the bully at school who forces the weakling kids to give him their lunch money or he'll stuff them in their lockers. Or the powerful Alabama Crimson Tide football team destroying some weak opponent, 78-3. Or maybe the powerful T-Rex in the Jurassic Park movies eating weak animals and people in one huge bite. We live in a world where it seems that it is the strong, the powerful, that survives and thrives. And the weak perish. The weak lose. The weak get overwhelmed. After all, Darwin's theory of the survival of the fittest happens a lot, right? Whether in the animal world or in the human world, power puts you on top. Weakness is, well, just plain weak. When it comes to us humans, there are many types of power. Power that comes from being in authority, being in charge. Power that comes from having the ability to reward or punish. Power that comes from being an expert, being the smartest person in the room. Power that comes from being famous, attractive, or popular. Power that comes from being one who controls the information. So politicians, celebrities, business bosses, Parents, judges, tech people, and scientists, university professors, media, all these and more have positions of power. But children can also have power over their parents, wives over husbands, and vice versa. Anyone can operate from a position of power and use it for good or for evil. Then there's power's opposite, weakness. Something no one really wants, right? Weakness is embarrassing. Weakness is humiliating. Weakness makes us a victim of the powerful. It reminds me of my days in high school when I couldn't even do one pull-up for the yearly fitness checkup. Then there was that terrible rope that hung down from the gym ceiling. There was no way I was ever making it to the top. I was just too physically weak. Okay, enough reminiscing about my personal physical weaknesses. Even the most powerful people among us can probably remember being weak in some way at some point. So let's begin thinking through the biblical principles surrounding power and weakness. First, we must begin with God, who is all-powerful. From the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis to the climactic end in the book of Revelation, God's power is on center stage. The Bible opens with God creating all things by the word of his power. There's no other being who can create things simply by speaking them into existence. We see his power on display against his enemies throughout the Old Testament. This same power delivers his people from Egypt, from the Philistines, Assyrians, Syrians, the Canaanites, and the list goes on. We also see his power through his prophets like Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. Then we have the power of Christ in the New Testament. The miracles, the healings, the casting out of demons, the resurrections. Ultimately, we read of the all-powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finally, in Revelation, we learn of God's ultimate power over the evil one and the power to create the new heavens and the new earth. And of course, only God has the power to save his people from hell. 
So when we read of the power of God, our minds should be truly blown. This is no ordinary power. This is no power anyone can have on his or her own. Non-Christians do not understand the power of God. Jesus told the Sadducees in Matthew 22 that they didn't understand the resurrection because they knew, quote, neither the scripture nor the power of God. The Apostle Paul boasted in the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. And then there's that old gospel song, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. So do you understand why we need to start here in our thinking about power? If we are not daily amazed and stunned by the power of God, we will not see the power of God at work in this world or in our lives. Satan, on the other hand, wants our starting point to be the power exercised by people. So we can become worried about that power, angry about that power, jealous of that power. We can be led to believe that we can only get that power from other people rather than enjoy the power of God in our lives. And then second, Satan is powerful too, but not as powerful as God. When we read back through the scripture, we see that the devil showed off his power in Genesis as well. The power of deception, the power of lies, the power of temptation, He was able to use his power effectively on Adam and Eve. Satan has used the power of deception, lies, and temptation ever since. The Bible even says that he is the father of lies and the deceiver of nations. Now that's a lot of power. Throughout this series of podcasts, we have repeatedly discussed this form of satanic power. It is the power to confuse But the Bible also teaches us that Satan has the power to oppress and possess people. Job was certainly oppressed in substantial ways, from the stealing of his property and wealth to the killing of his children. In the New Testament, we read of people being demon-possessed, thereby controlled by the power of Satan to do great destruction in their lives. He's able to do great damage. He's able to use and abuse people through the evil of other people. Yet, as we have addressed time and time again, Satan is ultimately powerless against God. He is not powerful enough to defeat God. God is in control of any and all of Satan's power. So we need not fear the power of Satan in this world or in our personal lives. But again, we must not ignore it in any way. Satan believes he has power to offer people that people will make use of. He thought he could even tempt Jesus to receive his power and use it for his own glory. So we have this cosmic struggle between the all-powerful God and a powerful Satan and his demons. Of course, we know the outcome. We know who wins in the end. Christians can rest in the power of God at work in their lives and in this world. We do not fear the power that Satan is wielding out there. As is played out in the book of Job, God even uses Satan's power to gain glory for himself and to do his powerful work of sanctification in the lives of his people. But this supernatural war then manifests on earth among humans, which leads us to the next piece of our thinking about power.
What are the sources of human power and what should be our response to them? You'll notice I said sources of human power. Even though all power ultimately rests in our sovereign God, I think it's important to understand that he is not the only source of power. Yes, God is in control, but he's not the only one with power to offer. So let's break these down. First, there's the power of authority. According to Romans 13, all authority comes from God. He puts all people in positions of authority, which always comes with a certain level of power. Parents have been given authority over their children. Bosses have power and authority over their employees. Civic rulers have authority over their citizens. Church elders have authority over the members of their church congregation. This is legitimate power given by God, even if the person in power abuses their power, even if they use it for evil instead of good. So how do we respond to this form of power as Christians? First, we respond with submission and obedience. This is clearly taught in Romans 13 and many other places. Children submit to parents, wives to husbands, employees to bosses, and all of us to civil and church authorities. Now, submission is interpreted by this world and sometimes even in our own hearts as weakness. It feels so weak to submit and obey, doesn't it? Satan works to get us to equate our submission to the power of authority with weakness, encouraging us to rebel against that power, to take power to ourselves. But according to God's word, this weak submission is actually spiritual strength. It takes the power of God in us to be able to submit to those in authority, especially when those in authority are making wrong decisions and using their power poorly. So with that submissive heart, we are to be content with those in authority over us. We are to pray for them. We are not to be jealous of their power or try to take it for ourselves. When God wants to put you in authority, he will. When he wants to give you that power, it is his alone to give. Even Christians can fall for the temptation to rebel against authoritative power and to not want to be in that weak position of submission. But remember, it takes the power of God in our lives to submit. And then secondly, there's the power of truth and knowledge. God is the giver of truth. God alone is the revealer of knowledge. He gives that truth and knowledge to people who can then teach it to others. There's a certain power in having knowledge just in the fact that you know things that other people do not know. Again, knowledge's power can be used to keep people ignorant. As Psalm 78 says, we can refuse to teach the truth to the next generation, keeping them in moral and intellectual darkness. In today's world, the media and governmental authorities and even those in the scientific community can purposely keep people in the dark, not giving all the information, biasing that knowledge. There's so much power in books, podcasts, videos, all media that is sharing information and knowledge that may or may not be true. So what is our response to this power? Christians are certainly to be people who are all about gaining knowledge and learning the truth. 
We are to be the greatest of all learners all of our lives. But we are also called to be discerning learners. God's word teaches us that not all knowledge is helpful and not all of it is equally profitable. And knowledge can certainly puff us up. In other words, it can make us feel powerful in our pride. Having the truth, having good knowledge should bring the response of humility. We are to be humble, discerning learners. This too can look like weakness. But growing in truth will only grow us in the power that comes from God. Satan would like to tempt us to resist the truth, to make up our own version of the truth, to seek knowledge outside of God, and of course, believe lies instead of believing the truth. This is again where Satan wields a good amount of power. He tries to make all truth relative and confuse us about what we really know to be the truth. Then third, there's the power of evil. As we can all attest to, evil is a very powerful force. Almost any day of the week, you can see some sort of evil on the news done by people against people. The human heart is full of evil, as we read in Mark 7. Satan uses this inner evil to tempt people to all sorts of powerful sinning. So how is the Christian to respond to the power of evil? According to God's word, there are many things we're supposed to do. We are to actively fight against evil. We cannot let evil win. We are to return evil with good. That sort of sounds weak, doesn't it? Again, it takes the power of God to return evil with good instead of evil for evil. We are to expose the evil deeds of darkness. When we shine the light of Christ and God's word on them, we depower them. We are to do good works in this world in order to counteract what Satan does. We are to love our enemies and pray for them. Again, it sounds so weak. We are to submit ourselves to God and let him get revenge. And the list goes on. Many of these responses will be told to us by Satan to be weak responses, but they rely on the power of God in our weakness. Don't let them sound to you like passivity. These are active responses, strong responses, biblical responses that will defeat the power of evil. Lastly, there's the power we give to other people. We give power to people who shouldn't have power over us. This especially happens when we covet some rewards they can give us, financial rewards, popularity, fame. In modern life, we give celebrities, movie stars, athletes, social media influencers too much power. People can be easily swayed by what they say and do. On a more intimate level, we can give all sorts of people power over us. This happens primarily out of our own anxiety, insecurity, and it leads to people-pleasing. Here are just some examples we have covered in other podcasts. People gain power over us when we care too much what they think of us. People gain power from us when we refuse to confront them in love. Children are routinely given power by parents when they are undisciplined, when parents want to be friends instead of in authority. We give people power when we are afraid to lose what they have given us. 
We give people power when we're afraid of what they may say about us or do to us. Again, we could make a pretty long list here, but hopefully you get the idea. How should the Christian respond to this sort of power? Well, that's easy. Don't give this power to human beings in the first place. It will also take some good biblical counseling to learn how to depower certain relationships. And no, that doesn't mean just put up personal boundaries. It's much more complex than that. But the bottom line is to recognize that you are trapped in people-pleasing, that the power of people is more important to you than the power of God. Satan will try to keep you controlled by the power of people when the truth is that they don't have any real power in the first place. Okay, let's finish out our topic today by focusing a little more on weakness. First, the problem of fleshly weakness. In Matthew 26, we read of Jesus' interaction with his disciples when he left them to pray for him. Remember, instead of praying, they fell asleep. And Jesus said these words, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our sinful flesh is indeed weak. Satan tries to exploit that weakness, tempting us to give in to it. And we feed our own sinful flesh all the time. But as Christians, we have the power of the Spirit. We are to pray for God's strength when our flesh is weak. Being weak in our flesh is how Satan wants us to be. He wants us to do things that only feed the flesh and make the flesh more powerful. As the Apostle Paul writes about over and over again in his epistles, the true war inside us is the flesh versus the spirit, the old man versus the new man. We are to put the flesh to death, make it weaker in our life all the time. Again, this can only happen as the power of God is more and more resident in our hearts, minds, and souls. Secondly, there is the weakness of God. Now, how can the all-powerful God be weak? Well, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 25 to 27. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So first we learn that even the weakness of God is stronger than the power of men. In other words, when God appears weak or foolish, it is actually his power on display. This is then applied by Paul to show how he deals with people. Instead of choosing the powerful, God chooses the weak. The weak shame the strong. The foolish shame the wise. God's kingdom turns power and weakness on their heads. No one enters God's kingdom by their own power, but in weakness. It is by human weakness that God's power is glorified. So this is what Paul means by the weakness of God. In human terms, what God does in choosing his people and saving his people is totally a weak move. It is not the powerful move of a king. 
That's how much we humans misunderstand where true power comes from and what true power is. Paul revisits this topic of the weakness of God later in 2 Corinthians 13. Here he applies this weakness to Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Do you get it? The cross is the ultimate manifestation of the weakness of God. Crucifying his own innocent son in order to secure salvation for his people? That just doesn't make sense. God wasn't using his political power or the power of his authority like he could have. In the same way, Jesus was crucified in weakness in order to be the Lord of all power in the universe. And so Paul says that weakness is actually not weak. Jesus is not weak in dealing with us, but powerful. The cross was truly a power move, a power move from weakness. We must live out the same way. Listen again what Paul concludes. For we also are weak in him, in Christ, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Thirdly, Christians can boast and be content in weakness. Again, we hear from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. He writes, If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, who has ever heard of boasting about our weaknesses? We always boast of our strengths. But Paul, using a bit of hyperbole, teaches us yet again how important our weaknesses are in the Christian life. God makes great use of us in our weakness. Why? Because then it is only possible to give him the glory instead of retaining some of it or all of it ourselves. So while Satan wants us to despise our weaknesses and only focus on our strengths, God wants us to be proud in a godly way of our weaknesses. Just to be clear, Paul is not referring to moral or sinful weakness here. He has in mind the weaknesses that we have as human beings in need of a Savior It is our weaknesses that we look to God for the strength and power we need. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says the same thing in a different way. He writes, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How hard is it to be content in our weaknesses? Now notice Paul connects these to the hardships he faces from others. God uses all sorts of things to keep us weak in the sense that we can't fix things on our own. He wraps up this thinking with the words, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know that this makes absolutely no sense to the world. It doesn't even make sense to many Christians. How can you be strong when you are really weak. Hopefully, you've already experienced this dynamic in your Christian walk. When we're weak, we can much more easily see the power of God in our lives. 
The devil wants us to become depressed in our weakness, to be angry or anxious rather than at peace. He wants us to pursue power in other ways to not be weak. But God has us right where he wants us when we are most weak. We are best when weak, which leads us to our last point. Finally, we know that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Here's Paul one more time in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Remember, this is when Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh that he asked God to take away from him. We don't know what it was, but it was certainly making him weak in some way. God made it clear that he was having Paul keep that weakness so that his power would be made perfect. Now, while we can't fully understand what that means, we can rest in the fact that God's power transforms our weaknesses in ways that are truly remarkable. And then there's this one last verse from Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The power of God is made perfect in us because it is God's power and not our own. This is the power we should long for, not human power, certainly not the power offered by Satan, not some self-generating power, God's power, God's power that is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.